Hey folks, Richard Bean here, and I am here to tell you about Bakersfield Observed, the podcast. That's right. Once a week, we'll talk to local newsmakers, politicians, and personalities to discuss issues that affect our community. It's a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County, and it's available at kernradio.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. Bakersfield Observed, the podcast with Richard Bean, brought to you by Centric Healthcare, King Door Company, and News Talk 96.1 and AM 1180. Check it out at curtainradio.com. Welcome to Bakersfield Observed with Richard Bean, a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County. Richard's guests are newsmakers, influencers, and personalities who address topics of interest to you and your neighbors and your community. The discussion is fast, informative, and always civil. Now, here's your host, Richard Bean. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 27 of the new Bakersfield Observed podcast. We, we record it right here at the American General Media offices off California Avenue and Highway 99. This podcast airs weekly, and it complements the work of the Bakersfield Observed blog. You can access this podcast via Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also access it on kernradio.com. Today, we're going to focus on the return to Bakersfield of a movie that was filmed right here in Kern County and deals with a topic that is close to all of us, and that is our veterans and the state of their lives. The movie, of course, is Oildale. It's a poignant story of three homeless veterans who find family by renting rooms from a young girl who is discovering her own self with a budding music career. The first local screening of the movie was held in April of 2019, and this Sunday it's playing again at the historic Fox Theater downtown. A couple things about it you need to know. A portion of the proceeds will be donated to the Wounded Heroes Fund to support local veterans. The long-awaited DVD of the movie will be available. They'll also be soliciting and accepting donations for local veterans in need. And once again, the movie airs at the Fox this Sunday. It's just 10 bucks a ticket. Doors open at 1 p.m. and movie time is 2 p.m. And remember, this event is capped at 999 attendees and no proof of vaccination is required. Today's guest is a local boy, Brant Cotton. He plays the role of Clyde Fenton in the movie. Cotton grew up in Bakersfield and is now in the movie industry in Southern California. <laughs> Excuse me. Welcome to the podcast, Brent Cotton. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Brent, introduce yourself. Tell us something about yourself, where you grew up here, where you went to high school. Oh, I, yeah, I grew up in uh, Bakersfield. I went to uh, good old Fruitvale Junior High in Green Acres and uh, on to West High. Graduated Cal State, um, moved out to Los Angeles in 93, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, to pursue an acting career, and that took a little bit, and uh, eventually was able to um, quit my day job, which was an auditor for State Compensation Insurance Fund, and uh, then I did a series of commercials and some television, movie, and then I jumped into music, 
um, and started writing and playing and then traveling and doing that. And that's sort of how I got the attention of uh, David and Lynn, the uh, uh, writers and directors of this film, who uh, put together Oildale. So when I got the opportunity to um, shoot something in Bakersfield, I was, uh, I was quite pleased. You know, I don't know if you recall, uh, years, years ago, there was a uh, TV show called Bakersfield PD. Remember I remember that? that. It was quite <laughs> funny. Yeah. Yeah, it was. What was their saying? It was, uh, uh, it was the gateway to Fresno. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so actually, that was, that was the first time I had any, and it was just an extra on that. I mean, that was so long oh, ago. Really? But I still remember, but it was funny. Um, what so else? Yeah. Have, what else have you acted in? Tell me about your career. Well, some TV shows. It was in um, the last um, uh, season of Nine Hundred Two One Zero. Sticks out in my uh-huh. head of uh, the original show and ER. You know, NCIS and uh, NCIS Los Angeles. I think all the NCISs. Uh, the first thing I ever did was uh, uh, wag the dog. That was sort of oh like yeah a break if you recall that. Uh-huh. So um, got to meet uh dustin hoffman who was a very uh, very sweet man and that was incredibly intimidating and then i also got to witness robert de niro yell at a uh, costume lady in the uh uh hallway at the <laughs> by the elevators uh, um at the i think it was the road it was the beverly wilshire hotel oh boy yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that was sort of my wake-up call to uh, Hollywood at that point. Um, was, was, yeah. was acting always in your blood? I mean, when, when you were attending Cal State or West, I mean, was, was, was yeah, that always back I did, then? Uh, yeah, it was. I, I was in a weird uh, scenario. I, I played sports. You know, I, I played football at West. Uh, Shout-out to Coach Kevin Sneed, who I uh, love dearly. Uh, and uh, wrestled and whatnot, and at the same time I was doing plays at the Shakespeare Festival and whatnot. Mm. So it was uh, it was an interesting little crowd that I ran with, uh, doing both. And then going to Cal State, I studied business. But my, it was always my intention to, to come down here to L.A. Um, and L.A. at that time, you know, could seem like an intimidating place, and you're going, I don't know how to start. Where, where, what do well, I? Well, it, it still control? does. When I hear people like you who have had, obviously, you've had success, uh, and I mean, but, but to go down there and just throw yourself at the altar of Hollywood, saying, you know, I've got talent, I want to prove it. How intimidating is that? How long did it take you to kind of establish yourself? Oh God, it took. Uh, uh, a few years you're looking for any angle i think uh, uh, like most who come out to la there's a bit of uh, naivete thinking well if nothing happens in a year uh, then i'm gone now it's sort of uh, you, you need to move on if that's your mentality you got to think about the uh, long haul and it's like anything it's who you know so mm-hmm. i uh, knocked on doors and was going how do i make connections what do i what do i do to do what i have to do because um, there's a lot of talented people in here and there's a lot of people with dreams and ambitions and you go how can i outwork them so um you know i got involved with the theater company that seemed like a, a, a way and at that time I, I got into a very respectable theater company and uh, it was run by a lady by the name of natalia Novilich, who came out here um from Chicago with, uh, remember Dennis Franz? Oh yeah. Yeah. Dennis Franz, Bill Macy, Joe Montaigne. Oh, uh, they wow. were all part of sort of the David Mamet crew. Do you know David Mamet? Yeah. 
Yeah, Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross. Right. So that her, she put up a theater company. Very passionate Russian uh, lady, and uh, and it was through that and doing one act festivals uh, that she had a lots of connections and people that would come see the shows, and eventually I got uh, signed uh, from that from a very respectable uh, management company, and then you go on the agent hunt. So now it's uh, like okay, game on. Um, oh boy, so that was boy. A, a huge break. And then, like anything, uh, if they can put you in, in a room uh, with influential people, um, whether it's agents or uh, casting directors, and then you get that lucky break. And <clears throat> mine uh, was The Single Guy. There was, I forget the lead actors. There was a series called The Single Guy years ago. I don't know if you recall that. And um, his name escapes me. Jonathan, uh, he was in uh, Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, okay. week at Bernie. Oh, yeah. It was Andrew yeah. McCarthy and Jonathan. I forget his mm-hmm. I could get to more high fluential casting directors who a lot of people they don't you don't you, it's not like you answer a, It sounds so, so was, intimidating. And I mean, do do you, you, you <laughs> well, know, talking it, about it? It is. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, do you fear after every movie that there's not going to be another one? Uh, oh yeah, it's it's it, it, it everything runs hot and cold. You know, there's times that, you know, um, that you're either booking, you know, a couple of years ago, I booked two commercials back to back, all filming at the same time and you can do no wrong. And then there's sometimes that you're, you know, you're not getting hired um, and it's scary. And, you know, myself, I, I sort of switch gears and luckily I still have a foot in acting, but I switched gears and, you know, got into music, which mm-hmm. really, to be honest with you, that was probably my first love. Hmm. And uh, things became easy for me, to be honest with you. I was uh, booking gigs uh, with relative ease uh, around town in L.A. and, you know, playing, you know, country. Uh, yeah, tell me about know. your band. What kind of what kind of music? Did you well, it was the name of the band was on Cotton at the time, but it was just on sort of on a lark. I was doing a play. I was doing Of Mice and Men in Hollywood. And a, a buddy of mine, we'd always fool around, you know, playing guitars and whatnot. And our original idea was sort of make a joke, uh, almost a spinal tap sort of band where we'd fake fights and stuff on the stage. <laughs> but then we'd go and, hey, we're not, you know, we're not too bad. And uh, I was always sort of writing. Um, then he sort of convinced me. And there was a place in uh, L.A. called Kulak's Woodshed. And he was able to get us a, a gig there. And I started taking it more seriously. And started writing, um, and then that produced a uh, demo, and then a management company took us on, uh, started playing more places. Then uh, we went overseas. We went to Iraq and Afghanistan and Bosnia and Kosovo and Japan and Germany. Whoa. And um, then I was dealing with uh, Curb Records briefly. Um, but it was just coming very easy for me, and I enjoyed it uh, uh, enormously, you know, uh, with music, the thing you can do, you can, you know, you can control it. Yeah. You know, with acting, it's, you know, you, you go audition and you could give the worst audition in the world and get the part and give the best audition in the world and not get the part. So there's never any closure. Oh boy. You know, yeah. and I, I think that drives a lot of people wacky. Oh, I would drive me uh, wacky. Uh, I tell you, well, it, I, I have to ask you this. Now I got somebody from, <clears throat> from the business and I don't want to blindside you, but, 
Uh, th- this 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 tragedy involving Alec Baldwin in the movie that 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 he was produ- producing. What do you think of that? I mean, I mean, I'm sure you've been in movies around where there's been you know weapons uh, and protocol on stages. What do you oh, think of that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've had multiple discussions with people, and it seems to be. Um, uh, we all seem to be in a little bit of an agreement. I, I did a movie a long time ago. It's a good, it's a great B movie, a bad A movie. It's a movie called Marines. We filmed in Bulgaria and round guns a lot. And then even on NCIS, um, Los Angeles, uh, part of the SWAT team. There, there's a protocol. I mean, essentially, I don't remember an armor necessarily handing me a gun, mm-hmm. but somebody does. But, you know, they do like anybody does. They check the gun, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then you hand it to the actor, and then it's your responsibility to do the same thing, you know. And we all talk about that. So you would check your own gun, yeah. Yeah, they'd say, "Here's your gun." You know, they don't hand them to you until the scene's ready. They're, right. you know, safety. It's not like people are twirling guns. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> to be honest, in Bulgaria, I think they were. It was a little bit of the Wild West there. <laughs> um, but yeah, you follow safety protocol, and it it it. It astounds me that uh, Alec Baldwin, uh, for a guy that's been in 20 million movies, been around guns, didn't take the time to check the weapon. It's just it's a natural thing and they want you to. Um, You know, and I know there was the ABC interview that came out with Stephanopoulos. What do you think of that? But I I just only saw clips of it, you know, and obviously they're online They're. Putting the info that uh, I couldn't shoot the gun and I didn't shoot the gun. I think he meant that emotionally, like he would never do that. Not that he he knows he shot the gun. Well, he said, and here's what he said. He said, he, I didn't pull the trigger, but when I was following the directions of the woman he eventually shot and killed, that, mm-hmm. and I thought this was a little cheesy, he basically blamed it on her. He said, the only reason I was pointing the gun at her is because she told me to. She was telling me where to point the gun, where it would be in the camera, and it was. And I reached back, and almost like he, he, he fired the gun with the hammer. He said, "I reached back with the hammer, and and I said, can you see it now? Can you see it?' And I let the hammer go. So he didn't pull the trigger, but he admitted it that that he let the hammer he let go. The hammer go. Well, of course, if there's a round in there, it's going to fire. What do you think of that? Um. God, it's tough. Uh, and you're saying this is the assistant. This is the person you pointed again at. And I'm right. sorry, what was her role again? She wasn't the cinematographer. She was the. Um, she was a lighting person or something. I thought. But uh, yeah, I, I could be wrong. Yeah. And I hate to go there. I don't know who listens to the podcast, but you have a lot of people on the creative end, and you probably know this as well as I do. They're very, you know, liberal in their politics. Mm-hmm. They don't. They don't. They're not shooting guns. They don't really know. They're not, right. you know. You and I both know if, uh, you know, we're in any situation. We don't want any gun pointed at us uh, in any way whatsoever. There's just a natural yeah. paranoia. Right. Right. And somebody's like that, and they're trying to get creative. And she probably thinks it's a prop gun too. To be honest with you. Yeah. Right. I mean, any gun that I've used could have never fired. They weren't giving me a a, a live gun that shot live rounds. Oh, Generally, really? dummied up in some way, and it's things are done in post. And I know they. You know, they do it from time to time. It yeah, hasn't yeah. been my right. experience. Right. But I know they're supposed to fire blanks and whatnot. Um, but it's just reckless and careless. And you, and I don't know how much research you've done on the whole uh, nature of that set. You know, uh, you had people that left that morning and 
Um, the union people were yeah. supposed to be sleeping there and Phil said they had to drive an hour and people just frustrated they're not getting paid. And then it comes out you have an armorer, you know, um, a young gal that it doesn't seem like she had too much armor experience. And Thank you about it. And you're going, why are you an armor? Right. I don't, did somebody do, you know, did somebody owe a favor to somebody and you got a job? And, and I know Alex money was in this film, you know, obviously he was one of the producers and he quickly learned that uh, budgets are tight. And so he becomes a, uh, you know, producer that, that mm-hmm. become highly stressed out because they know they've got to make payroll. They've, right. they've got budgets and they're trying to get to shoot so X amount of pages in a day. And he's probably as an artistic guy, it needs to be right. And then he's pissed off at the union people and he goes, okay, we'll do it ourselves. And then all these, you know, safety protocols, uh, it go by the wayside. And I, I certainly don't think he obviously intentionally, uh, was, you know, shot the woman, and you may be right. If the hammer's back, well, what the hell, Richard? Is the hammer being? Why are you back fanning for? a hammer back like that? Of course, it's, it's going to so, go off. So yeah. the camera could see that the hammer for effect. Well, he would. He was pointing his finger at George Stephanopoulos like he was talking to the woman who was killed, saying, "Does this look right? Does this?" this look right and he's pulling the hammer back and then when she said it looks right he just let it go and then he was shocked at the gunfire oh. you know and i'm like you what know, the I, hell were you thinking yeah you know i wonder if that's accurate <laughs> you know well, let me tell I'm you something. A, the one I'm thing i knew conspiracy theorist i'm not a big conspiracy theorist but you're going okay how do i explain this well let me I tell know. you something i would bet i would bet my house that this guy was prepped by his lawyers beforehand. They probably did like debate prep, like these presidential candidates. Of course, did, because he laid everything out, and his premise was the only reason the gun was pointed at that woman is because she told me to do it. You know, I'm thinking, boy, yeah. that sounds like a lawyer involved. You, you know, know what? You I know. think you've got the. Uh theory of the day i think you're absolutely right didn't think about that before you just mentioned it but yeah that's yeah. exactly what it sounds like you've absolutely. got enough time to think about it and then you've got his uh you know uh his publicity uh person you know you know they sat around the couch okay we'll be doing whether it's a lawyer okay how do we frame this okay I know right, right. Uh, let's go on george stephanopoulos and or let's go on an interview so it'll get uh get some public sympathy my way and explain it and then go how do we explain it alec well shit what, what are what are possible ways this gun would naturally go off right exactly you know, exactly. i guess i am becoming a conspiracy theorist well no no no, no. <laughs> whatever and i didn't mean to do you were here to talk about oil the, the movie but you being a person from the business i I, I, think you're, you, I think you're absolutely right. But again, you check the gun. <sighs> Let me tell you, you grow, gun. man, I grew, I grew, I grew up in Georgia and, and you know, my father was a hunter and I was a hunter and I was a competitive skeet shooter. And if anybody handed you a gun and you didn't check it, as my daddy used to say, the unloaded gun kills the most. It was on you when you were handing that gun to check that thing. I don't care who handled it before and what they said. If right, they said right. cold gun or whatever, you damn well check that weapon. And, right. it, and it's it, you're, you're absolutely right. And for again, for a guy that's been on 20 million movie sets, I mean, I kept I keep thinking of, you know, I go back in my head. Well, what movies about shot a gun in? I'm like, wow, the getaway. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. So he's not he's he's not stupid to this. I, right. 
I don't know. I don't know if he's gotten a little wacky over the years, but you're right. And even if that person checked the gun in front of you, Richard, still you do still it. Check it, right? Is that Absolutely. your natural response? Absolutely. Absolutely. They could show you. They could shine a flashlight in it, uh, in the chamber. They could do all of that. But your natural inclination is to take the gun and check it yourself regardless. Yeah, and and, and and this should be said, too, because I know something about weapons. Given that that was, that was a weapon, that, that was a cult that was designed in the 1800s, you can actually, and it's a revolver, you can actually look and see rounds without breaking uh, oh. the cylinder open. You can actually, if, my, my point is, it's not hard. Uh, yeah, wait, what, yeah. what time? So was it was it Colt forty five? Colt like forty five, yeah. So yeah. was it was it like the one that Wyatt Earp? Yep, yep. It's on? just an old classic Colt forty five, oh. single action, cock it back. Yeah, you know. not to uh, not to brag, but uh, uh, I, I will be the recipient of that in the future. I've got my granddad had one. My dad's yes. got it now. So something was built. I got the papers on it. It was like uh, I don't know. It was eighteen sixty eight or seventy eight, something like that. Yeah. Uh, that exact weapon. Well, but, they're, uh, they're 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 great weapons, but you damn well better be careful with them. You <laughs> they're that. heavy yeah. as hell, too. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. You know, don't you ever always uh, handle something like that, and you go, "And nobody was really twirling this round back in the day." <laughs> this is, uh, they've had to have the hand and grip strength of Andre the <laughs> Giant. You know, those things are aren't easy to handle. Yeah, you see these guys in Tombstone, you think, "Oh, well, it looked easier." <laughs> Not really, you know. Well, let's get back to oil now. I'm so interested about this. How did you, how did you get connected with this movie? And did you know like Lynn Salt and David Mueller, the director and the producers? I mean, I mean, I mean, here's a guy from Kern County, and all of a sudden you kind of circle around. You're in the business, and you're in a movie about oil now. Yeah. Well, the story around that is. I uh, do a lot of work with the Wounded Heroes Fund there in Bakersfield, um, okay. and it was it started musically. And are you familiar with the Wounded Heroes Fund in Bakersfield at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we do salute to our American heroes, or we used to do it. We did it for ten years, and uh, I was sort of responsible for um, organizing speakers and the entertainment and. Uh, all that stuff. When we had recently had evening with an American hero, a fundraiser, so they become, you know, they basically are part of my family. So I, I do spend a lot of time in Bakersfield. So I'll be there this Sunday, and then again on next Thursday for the Jamie Johnson concert. Um, so I got him. So Lynn and David approached, and I think Rick led him that way. Rick Davis uh, led him that way to uh, get their perspective on the vets, on the vet community. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Wendy Porter, the executive director, said, uh, well, Brant, uh, uh, one of the people that work with us, uh, he's kind of involved if you want to talk to him. And so I started talking and giving him my background. And it was just solely on that. And then they uh, went and I got an email. I think it was an email. It could have been a call. They wanted to use one of my songs for the film. Oh, really? That's great. So we had a meeting in Toluca Lake. and said, yeah, that'd be great. And because uh, I'd written several songs, military related, um, and so they just chose one of them. I thought, well, that's great. Which song? Which, which song in the movie? What's the name of the song? It's called "See You on the Other Side." All right. Um, and it's yeah, it's featured in the film. Um, uh, yeah, it's basically about two friends going off to battle, 
And uh, they said, okay, here we go. See you on the other side of this. I don't know how you'll turn out or I'll turn out, but uh, we'll see you at the end of this thing. And and so it's an up, well, not necessarily uplifting, but it's a powerful tune, and they needed they wanted something of that nature. So I was more than happy to uh, let them use the song. Then they, after meeting with them, then I don't know, a couple of weeks later, uh, they said, "Hey, um, would you be interested in uh, you doing the acting thing too? Huh? Would hmm. you? I didn't know that. Would you be interested in playing the Clyde Fenton character?" And, Basically, I'm a radio local radio guy there that uh, also puts on a singing contest mm-hmm. there uh, at the Fox Theater. Um, and then I be yeah. So we uh, in the course of the show, the lead actress she signs up for a talent contest. So we have a weekly right. talent contest, and then it leads up to a big one. And the winner gets ten thousand dollars and a recording contract and all that. So we did. Uh, uh, a lot of shooting at the Fox, and that was that was really cool for me. How cool you know, was that for somebody of your experience? I mean, the Fox. I mean, you're, you're from you know you you're from here. You know you, you know this in this I I absolutely iconic theater, yeah. this wonderful place. What was it like yeah. shooting a movie in there? It was uh, it was everything you just said. Yeah. I remember as a little kid, and I'm not sure how long it had been closed down. I remember it closed down for a long time, but. Richard, I remember as a little kid, and I gotta think it was the Fox, seeing in one of those early Jodie Foster Disney films. I think it was like bed knobs and boomsticks <laughs> or something up in the balcony. Oh yeah, you know. Uh, and then of course along came uh, Stockdale uh, uh, Six, and then uh, the Cali- the one in California. I forget mm-hmm. the name of that one. It's sad to me, and it goes, God, it's a testament to how old I'm getting is uh, the fact that those theaters are. I don't know, 99 cent stores. Right. <laughs> and you go, and I remember when the one in California opened because I think I saw Rocky too there when it first opened. Uh, but, but to be in the Fox because it's, um, you know, because of the history and you're standing on stage. So that was exciting oh, for wow. me, yeah. you know, to go backstage, go in the old green rooms, look at this, you know, the side of the stage. So I spent a lot of time and I spent a lot of time appreciating it and, Pretty much everything I shoot, uh, I'm just a supporting character, you know, during that whole thing. Uh, but was all the Fox, and it was an incredible experience for me, you know, to, to be there and go, oh wow, this is this is the stage, right? Okay, absolutely. And then uh, yeah, and so it, it'll be neat, you know, this Sunday, and then to be there back there next Thursday to see Jamie Johnson in concert, and yeah, yeah, and I was lucky enough that Rick uh, Davis. You know, showed me around too, and I guess there's another building on the other side of it that they house a lot of you know props and uh-huh. there's things back from the day, the little warehouse scenario. So uh, he pulled some things up for me, and it's just yeah, there's a lot of history there. Oh, there so, is absolutely. I hate to use the word neat, but that was pretty goddamn yeah, neat. It, 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 neat. Neat, neat works in this case. Tell me about your involvement and your interest in our. Are you a veteran yourself? No, no, it's one of my, no, not so regret. If I could go back, I probably would have joined. Uh, I mean, my involvement started out uh, on, on musically getting invited to go uh, to USO shows. And then, uh, well, they weren't necessarily sponsored by USO, but being in Bosnia and Kosovo uh, was one thing. But then it was really, here's a story I'll, I'll share with you. Okay. And this really brought it home to me. Um, we went to Iraq, 
and we go to forward operating bases. And one of them we went to, it's like you do a show um, in the morning, you're up early, you're packing it. There'd be like two or three Blackhawks to take the equipment and then the other one to take the band and who's ever with you. So we flew in a place called Aditha Dam. Hmm. It was built by the Czechs. Huge, huge dam. Mm-hmm. And on the side of it, it was almost like a staircase on both sides. It was sort of the housing quarters and whatnot. And I remember flying to it and going, oh, my God, finally some cool air because we were on some water. And we we uh, get off, uh, and the Marines, it was Hello? I talking to one of the guys. And he goes, yeah, it's kind of. Hey, you're cutting no, out. Sorry. You're, you're cutting out a little oh. bit there. Yeah. Oh, there. Maybe I should stay fixed. Is it better? Yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, uh, he says it's kind of a down day here. He says uh, a couple of men were uh, uh, taken out, you know, uh, earlier today. I was like, oh, wow. So it was pretty somber. Mm. And then it was a sergeant. And it, uh, I always remember his name because his name was Jack Johnson, and he was from Hawaii. Mm. And, of course, you know, there's a singer named Jack Johnson sure. from Hawaii. And so we talked about that. And he, he told me, he goes, uh, he goes, yeah. We think it's this kind of young kid that's sort of orchestrating uh, these attacks. So Haditha Dam is one part, but they would patrol the city of Haditha, where they'd operate as cops, detectives, all that kind of stuff. And then they'd go back to the dam, you know, their their station. So he goes, we think it's a kid, but nobody will give any information. And and if we, you know, we suspect him, but the locals are going, no, the kid's too young. That's not that. I said, okay. So that's all I, I uh, uh, you know, remember that part. So mm. we played that night, and uh, I do, I do remember my lead guitar player. We're just playing nonstop. You don't take sets. You just play two to, you know, two to three hours without mm. stopping. My guitar player had to go to the bathroom at one point, and he just goes, "I can't take it." So he put his mm. guitar down, and one of the guys, and I just said, "Hey, can anybody fill his place?" And somebody goes, "Such and such has got a uh, a bagpipe." I said, yeah, bring that up. Oh. So um, one of the guys ran and got some bagpipes, and he was playing bagpipes. Uh, oh. I remember that. So it was a really, really good evening. We had a, and so come the next morning, our gear is taken up to the top, uh, and we're, we're waiting the uh, Blackhawks. And I'm sitting on one of the music cases uh, reading a book, and I just heard, boom, 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 boom. I'm like, what, what the hell? Uh, and I get up and I see these two Marines and I see these two guys, um, these uh, Iraqis, and they've got blindfolds on mm-hmm. and they're wearing, remember Kennington shirts from the 80s? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It was like OP, Kennington, Lightning Bolt. Kennington always had sort of the felt kind of, mm-hmm. I just remember that. So they were wearing sort of those shirts and uh, like soccer pants, Adidas soccer pants and thongs, you know. And... Uh, and so you had two Marines escorting these two guys, and they got blindfolds, and they sit them right where the music cases are, and they're squatting down. And uh, one of the guys is going over there checking their heart rate, you know, to put the fingers on the neck, check the pulse. And I just remember looking at those guys going, oh, wow, they got some, you know, they got some guys. This is really – and then Jack Johnson, who talked to me, uh, you know, the day before, comes up and he goes, hey, remember those telling you about uh, guys? says, yeah, that one right there, that's the kid. Oh. He was doing it. I said, wow. He was. 
Yeah, he goes, how old is he? I asked him, he said, he's 16. And I went, oh, wow. And I said, so what happens now? Where do they go? And he goes, they go to Abu Ghraib. Oh, boy. And if you remember the Abu Ghraib scandal? Yeah, yeah. He says, but we don't tell them Abu Ghraib, not because they think Americans are, you know, know, immoral American soldiers are going to do weird things with them. Um, But at that time, during Saddam's reign, uh, if you went to Abu Ghraib in uh, Saddam's reign, that was the yank coming back. That's pretty much a Mm. death sentence. Wow. So So you can't tell them that. But I remember the 16-year-old was somewhat calm, hmm. and the other one, I don't know the other one, probably his accomplice, his sidekick or whatever, his heart, you could just see, he just, you know, I know he had a blindfold on, but that's, I could see why they were checking his heart rate, because he was just trembling, oh, and he was boy. squatting down trembling, oh, and that affected me, you know, that affected me. Yeah. And then you're, uh, you know... And other things as well, being in the German hospital or uh, we were in um, Bagram, the one Biden let go, and visiting the hospital there. And you see the damage, you know, you really see the damage. So getting back and getting involved with Wounded Heroes Fund, and we have vets uh, that work for us and a lot of guys I'm really, really uh, good friends with. But, you know, some lost their legs, their hearing, yeah. uh, most of them suffering from PTS, and it's and it's so odd, Richard, because, I, again, these guys are my friends now. Yeah. Um, they're just my friends. And so I'll, you know, get a call or something about, oh, yeah, hey, I got to go to Florida, uh, such and such. A buddy of mine died. And nine times out of ten, they died because, you know, they took their own life. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's the battling of the PTS. Right, right. And uh, well, somebody told me, they says, Brant, don't say PTSD. Just say PTS. Why? Because is dis- disorder. We uh, have post-traumatic stress. I mean, and, you know, take it for what it was. Like, okay, yeah, well, right. I guess it's a disorder, but it's not. Because disorder to them means, like, yeah. it's permanent and yeah. not fixable or something. And I said, note taken. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, so I've been around the whole vet community for a very long time. Uh. Um it, 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 when when you made this movie, do you do you, do you think it accomplishes what it it set out to do to tell a truly poignant story to 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 put a not only a face on homelessness and the veteran community and some of the issues they face, but mm-hmm. do it in a way in which the the narrative takes it you know in. Uh, in a different way, in, in, in the, the way that they uh, they end up, you know, boarding from this woman and, and this, this young lady and then her own journey. Mm-hmm. T- tell me how, it, how, how, the, how the, the script moved you. Well, first of all, it's not light. Granted, there's some singing in it, and I guess maybe the light note comes, you know, at the talent contest, but it is a heavy film. You know, uh, uh, David and Lynn were very, very sensitive to the subject. Uh, one of the guys, uh, Sonny King, is actually was in Vietnam, and he actually played with the Vietnam vet in it. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's not brushed over with without sensitivity. Uh, they handle these characters very well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, they create a family, you know, I don't know if you've seen the film or not, but, um, uh, you've got, it almost seemed like somebody from each conflict, conflict, World War One, well, mm-hmm. not World War One. I'm sorry, World War Two. there's Vietnam, um, and then uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. It, 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 but it explores the psyche of what happens yeah. to these people. So it's not it's not really a movie about homelessness or right. homeless vets. It's about these guys finding each other. You know, uh, mm. the vet the people that play the vets. It, they find each other through the family and this girl Carly and her younger kids. So I hate to say it's a family movie, but these guys create a family. They yeah, help. Right. She helps them. They help each other. There's a there's lots of space. I don't know how else to describe it. There's space in this movie, you know, that gives you time to, to think. Um, I mean, you kind of got me on the spot with that question. No, I was, I was just curious. I mean, I think I'm thinking out loud, like how it moves me, and it's like it's the space. Well, you, it's been out a while now. T- tell me the reaction from, from uh, veterans to it. What do they tell you? Oh, veteran, anybody who's been a veteran, they understand. They get it. Yeah. You know, and maybe that was the sort of the course of the movie is you've got three guys that all understand each other. Yeah. You know, the guys that move in a house, they all understand each other. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to talk too much to them. They just get it. Right. And they get it. So, uh, so Lynn did a very good job in bringing that up in, uh, in her script. You know, kudos to her and then David for the directing. They both did a, a marvelous job in that regard. Right. And and you're the character you play, Fenton. Is it Clyde Fenton? Clyde Fenton. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I'm <laughs> I'm not part of that central story. I'm about Carly is uh, uh, Car the, the lead character Carly is has a, a, a gift for singing and writing and she's trying to pay her bills so that's why she was a, she rented out rooms to the vets and they were encouraging her and helping her with the uh, music and uh, uh, so she signs up for a contest and I host the contest basically okay and you're like the mc or or the okay yeah. yeah i mean i think there's there's scenes in the movie yeah where there's earlier things and then at the end uh there's other characters that compete and then i we've got a lot of great uh, musical talent i was uh so happy to meet some of these people um that came out and performed and i went god these are really good songs well you're a musician so yourself so you know what you're talking about right yeah mm-hmm. you know the biggest kick too and uh somebody you, you know rick davis obviously yeah you know, uh, Rick can talk with the best of them. He'll probably hear this at some point, but he knows it. Uh, but he's full of uh, great stories, you know, partly truth, partly fiction, but I'll, I'll always take the better story. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, he's great. Uh, but he uh, was able to assemble a bunch of musicians um, for uh, this event. So we had like, I don't know, it seemed like 15 people behind me shooting it. And uh, it was such a blast because a lot of these guys had played with Merle and Bach, you know, and I'm such a musical historian that I just sort of geek out to those stories, you know. So I'm always hitting up anybody that has anything uh, musically oriented and, and forms a good story. And currently I'm reading a book on Merle Kilgore and all his great stories. Oh, so to have that sitting behind me and I hit them up was fabulous. Right. Um, you know, 
after after uh, the, uh, we're, we're talking about the the movie Oildale, and it, it it'll be playing Sunday at the Fox at two p.m. Yes, Doors open at one. Limited. It's only ten bucks. I urge everybody listening to this podcast uh, to attend. Tell me this: is what happens to a movie like this? Will this end up in on one of the streaming services on a Netflix or Prime? Would be we'd be surprised Hopefully. if that's we see the other, that, that's the other bad part about you know Hollywood. Great films couldn't uh, go by the wayside, um, you know, and unless you get proper distribution. But you know as well as I know, especially during COVID, there's very few people that go to the movie theater anymore. They're right. looking for. Uh, Streaming. I hope it it hits uh, Netflix or Amazon. You know, and that's probably a better question for the director and producer. Um, uh, I hope it ends up on Netflix or Amazon. I mean, I've I've made a lot of discoveries, as probably you have. You know, watching something, you go, I didn't know this existed. Absolutely. I, I you, you know, know I it, it, that I love. I mean, the the, the idea there. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell book uh, came out a few years ago called the Which long, one? the long tail and we if you remember that how that you know he used Netflix an example of when you give people choice you know that you know back in the day perhaps maybe when you were younger when I was younger you know the top 10 movies were all movies playing at the box office at your movie mm-hmm. theater and now when you give people choice of a thousand titles to choose from the idea was you can make money on a very few people watching these things and plus you're giving them exposure and giving people choice a lot more choice than they ever had before and i think that's that's the power of that that's why yeah. i think that this I movie mean, would be so good on there yeah. I mean, you obviously saw the uptick in documentaries. Now people do tons of documentaries because they know they'll be watched on these services. Yes, exactly. Um, but God, I mean, just, I don't care if it's an English show. I, I discovered the show Kingdom, you know, uh, last year during COVID, and it was on a station that I had no idea existed, mm-hmm. and nobody did either. And it was a phenomenal show. Yeah, but it's yeah. one of these things that didn't get watched. So, the movie will, will will find a home. I know Lynn and uh, David; they've taken it around, and my God, they uh, they have worked their their asses off uh, getting this thing out there and promoting it, and going and playing it in vet vet halls. But I also know it's difficult to get distribution, especially with a very heavy film like this. You know, it's, yeah, uh, right, right. It's difficult, and I I think they will. You know, I think people that see it, they have a um, you know a strong reaction to it. Uh, uh, so I think they did a great job with it. Well, good. Well, you'll be up here for the for the showing on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, I'll be up there. I'll be up there. It'll be uh, nice to be back. At okay. The Fox. Once again, the historic. It is, I like they put the historic now. It's always. It's no longer the Fox Theater. It's, it's the it's historic Fox Theater. Fox. I call it the Grand Dame of uh, of, of downtown. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, anytime you're in one of those places, I don't know how much you travel, but there there is something special about being in a theater where they cared about the uh, oh. you know, the, wood, the woodwork and the old yes and. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there it just makes watching something that 
much more incredible. You yeah, know, and, they're special places. They're not building them anymore. And if you've got one, you damn well better preserve it, like we yeah. do here. Yeah. And was that built during the like the FDR kind of thing when they were uh, pumping? I don't know, but I did some research at one time, and the number it might surprise you that the sheer number of Fox theaters around the country—they're all built within a decade of each other. I grew up in Atlanta. There was a huge one in Atlanta where Gone with the Wind uh, premiered. Oh, premiere. Yeah, yeah, in '42. And there's one, there's one in uh, Taft, of all places. There's a Fox Theater in, is it uh, Visalia, I think. Have, it, have, it, they it, been, it, have they been preserved? Yeah, almost all of them have, have been preserved. Okay. Because uh, I know after a certain time, people at that area, they go, ah, it's just a theater. Yeah, right. Like, there's no appreciation for the thing that you're sitting right now will be an antique, you know. Uh, but. You know, you're probably like me that you love good craftsmanship and you respect it when you, you know, you see these homes and staircases are carved in and uh, window frames are carved in. And yeah. you, there's just something to it. Like somebody uh, put some attention to this. But the craft work is amazing. Absolutely. So it's Absolutely. nice to see that, that, that they're being preserved. And All right. I, I hope this one continues to be. Brant Cotton, local guy, West High CSUB, Fruitful Junior High School. It's been great chatting with you, my friend. I sure appreciate it. I urge everybody to get out to the Fox, 2 p.m. Sunday, 10 bucks to get in, limited to the first 999 people. You do not need proof of uh, vaccination to get in. I I should mention this. Now, you guys are collecting... Are you collecting uh, clothes for, for, for homeless vets or the homeless? I yeah, I believe Dave and Lynn got something like set up. So if anybody's got some uh, clothes they want to donate, it's great. And then uh, 10% of the proceeds uh, go to the Wounded Heroes Fund Absolutely. as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's a good thing. Okay, Brant Cotton. It is a good thing. Thank you for joining uh, the Bakersfield Observed podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for your insight, and good luck to you and your career, sir. Thank you so much, Rich. It's been a pleasure. Okay, buddy. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, folks. Richard Bean here, and I am here to tell you about Bakersfield Observed, the podcast. That's right. Once a week, we'll talk to local newsmakers, politicians, and personalities to discuss issues that affect our community. It's a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County, and it's available at kernradio.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. Bakersfield Observed, the podcast with Richard Bean, brought to you by Centric Healthcare, King Door Company, and News Talk 96.1 and AM 1180. Check it out at curtainradio.com.